0: amen. Back in 2001, when the terrorists flew hijacked planes into the Twin Towers of Manhattan, CNN did a poll and found out that 75% of the people believed that everything had changed in the world. And indeed, there was a dramatic change. But since then, during the last couple of decades, another wicked, more wicked phenomenon seems to be taking place. Both were wicked, but this is so devious. The idea of mass shootings. Going back all the way to 99, you think of Columbine High School. You think of elementary schools that have been hit, like Sandy Hook in 2012, and. Robb Elementary just last year, innocent, young lives taken. It's happening, happening in shopping malls and strip clubs and places of education, places like Virginia Tech back in 2007, and now places like Michigan State University right near us. It's a terrible thing when it happens in our nation, it's a terrifying thing when it happens next door. Our hearts are moved and grieved when we see it taking place, but somehow there's enough detachment until we're in the story. And we feel the confusion and the grief and the pain and even the loss. Our own Jessica Hall, who works on the Michigan State campus with Bridges, wrote, this is a, uh, we are safe, but our hearts are broken. Our hearts are broken that this wonderful, safe, and beautiful campus is now marred by memories of terror and violence. Physical, safe, physically safe, we are thankful emotionally Well, that's a much different story. And the scars and the wounds that are internal, that take place, can only be healed by the God who knows us and made us, and who lives in our heart. It's not more evil when it happens next door, it's just close evil. And God shakes up our lives There is indeed disbelief, despair, fear that has crippled individuals. And the question always cycles back, where is God? No one says, well, we kicked him out of our schools and we kicked him out of our governments and we've kicked him out of our lives, so maybe he has a past to be gone. No one says that. They They say, where is he? And then they reason like this, either he doesn't exist, or if he exists, he's not powerful. Or if he exists and he's powerful, he's not good. And there's no way you can get out of that human rationale until the light of God's glory breaks in upon you and the precious ancient words of truth are imparted to your soul and mind. This past Tuesday, our college group had a Zoom meeting for prayer. Several of our own students were in the student union building, the union building, and they heard shots, and there was a fatality in that building, and when they had an opportunity, they ran for their lives, leaving wallets and computers and everything, running in terror. Some were sheltering in our villa, for safety. There were some students at Michigan State University who had experienced this before because they came from Oxford High School in Michigan, where just a couple years ago there was a mass shooting in their own high school, and now they come to university and the same thing happens again. And someone said in that Zoom meeting, you know, it's hard It's hard to say, I know the Lord has got this. And that's just being honest. Read the Psalms of David, and the laments of David fit in right with that saying. It's hard to say you're here. It's hard to say you care. It's hard to say that God Almighty is my refuge. And in a time like that, we began to think that Maybe, maybe we should walk away from God, my friend. This is the time we need Him most. We need Him all the time, but especially in these challenging and difficult times. I'm reminded of a of a little thing that happened almost an aside in Luke chapter 13. You don't need to turn there, but people were. Telling Jesus, hey, what about the the individuals that Pilate slaughtered in the Galilee and mixed their blood with the sacrifices? And Jesus said, "Well, do you think they were more sinful than other people? No. I tell you, you need to repent, or you'll perish." And then Jesus brought up the illustration himself. What about the 18 people that were killed when the tower of Siloam fell? That happened when Jesus was living to innocent people. And Jesus said, you think they were more wicked than the others because they died? No. Everyone is a sinner. And everyone needs to turn to God for salvation. And so I think what we need to do at times like this is to draw near through the scriptures to the presence of God and hear God speak to us. You can do it in the Psalms, but I'm choosing to do it today from the book of Romans, jumping ahead in our study to a very familiar verse, Romans chapter eight in verse 28. And we know, that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love him and to those who are the called according to his purpose for them. Is that true? I'd be afraid to answer too. Let me ask again, give you a second chance. Is that true? Have you ever doubted it? Yes. Yeah. Should be as many yeses the second time as there was the first. And this is a time when we wonder, how can this be for good? Now, now the Lord is not saying what happened is good. It's evil. It's wicked. It's wrong. It was never part of his plan. Never. But God can use the wickedness of man to praise him and the greatest example is the cross of Jesus Christ. This verse is still true. And it's true because it's couched couched between two amazing truths. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter eight. And let me share with you some really encouraging news. And the basis for this verse being true. Pastor Doug read from a portion of Romans chapter eight. It's very interesting. It tells us that even creation is groaning to be liberated from the bondage it's it's in. Sin affected everything. The people living on the world, the animals, and the world itself are atmospheric conditions Everything is affected by sin, and creation is groaning to be liberated, the scripture says. Verse 22, all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Verse 23, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as that down payment, we groan for the future glory we want to experience. We groan. As we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering, we groan as we eagerly wait for God to give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised. There's a whole lot of groaning going on in our world and among believers. But that's not all. For we're told in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit also groans and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Verse 26, for for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words and the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying for the Spirit pleads for us pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. The first thing I want to encourage you with, every believer, every child of God, in whatever circumstance you're in, is this. God's Spirit is praying for you. Of course, when this happened on the Michigan State campus, there were prayer groups that started everywhere, and that's fantastic, and people were turning to the Lord. But it's it's amazing to think that it's not just good and godly people praying for us, it's God praying for us. Do you think about that every day? Notice that the Holy Spirit, he helps us in our weakness. Verse 26. Paul said, when I acknowledge I am weak, then I am strong. And if I'm going to hold on to my own strength, I lose my connection with God's strength. I truly become weak. Our human limitations are evidenced in our confusion in prayer, our lack of understanding on how to pray. But weakness in prayer is really strength. I came across these words from Ole Hollisby, a Norwegian Lutheran theologian who died back in 1961, but he wrote a classic book on prayer. He said this, as far as I can see, prayer has been ordained only for the helpless. Prayer and helplessness are inseparable. And only the one who is helpless can truly pray. Your helplessness is your best prayer. It calls from your heart to the heart of God with greatest effect, greater than all your other petitions. Helplessness is the real secret of the power of prayer. You should therefore rather try to thank God for the feeling of helplessness which he's given you instead of trying to overcome it. Prayer, therefore, simply consists in telling God day by day in what ways we feel helpless. That's a good guide. Every day, in every way, pray to God and tell him how you feel helpless. Lord, I don't know how to pray. I've got you covered. The Spirit in you is praying for you with words that cannot be expressed. That's the second thing. Holy Spirit prays with inexpressible groans. A sigh is a a feeling of maybe confusion or maybe loss, but a groan has deeper pain in it. Human words cannot articulate the divine words of the Holy Spirit. Such groans cannot be imprisoned in human language. It's the divine groan from, from the Holy Spirit to the ear of the Heavenly Father. And the Father understands the groans. Notice the Holy Spirit prays according to the will of God. That's what the Scripture says. With these groans that cannot be understood, the Father knows. Because he knows all the hearts. He knows what the Spirit is saying. He can decipher the language, the inaudible groans, as the Spirit pleads for us. Underscore that. The Holy Spirit is praying for you and even pleading for you according to the will of God, in harmony with the purpose of God. By the way, the will of God in verse 27 is, same as, is the same as the purpose of God in verse 28. The reason why all things work together for good or God causes all things to work for good is because the Holy Spirit is pleading from our heart to God's throne for us that these things will work out as he has planned. So we know that God causes. He doesn't cause the evil. God is not the author of sin, but he does allow it. And bad things happen to good people. And why should we think that we ought to be isolated from the wickedness around us when so many people, very godly and very righteous, are the ones being martyred for their faith and suffering for the gospel. I'm not saying I long for it. I'm not saying I want it. I'm just saying it's wrong to me, for me to think that I should never experience it. God is at work. Did you see that in Romans eight twenty eight? Some translations have, and God works all things. He causes all things. Or all things work together for good for those who love God. Because God's, in charge of your life. He is Lord as well as Savior. And God is at work. I don't always see him at work, but he is at work. But his work plan is often different from mine. I'll be driving down the road and I'll see a sign, men at work. And I look in vain to find them. (laughs) It's not always true. And there's a lot of people doing good work but sometimes you don't see them. And I've got a plan for this road. You know, fix the potholes. That's my plan. I, you might be enlarging the road, but I wouldn't do that first. I'd try to make a road first. <laughs> Fill the... You know, I've got a plan. And, but they're not working according to my plan. And God is working even though you can't see him. And it's not according to your plan. He is working to take out the groan. He is working to take that groaning in your heart that you have for glory and to develop and mature that into Christ-likeness. That's his highest goal. His highest goal is not our comfort. His highest goal is his glory. And we're groaning within because we're not there and God says, I'll take you there, but it's gonna hurt a little bit. And we have to surrender our lives to his perfect will. God is at work. It's interesting that the the purpose and plan of verse 28 is also expressed in the next two verses, 29 and 30, with some rich theological terms that could seem very confusing, but ought to be extremely comforting. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them, or determined, that they would become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to himself. And having called them, he gave them the right standing before himself justification. And having given them right standing, he gave them glory. The plan of God, when a person trusts the Son of God, is to make that person just like the Son. God has predestined and determined to make every believer like his Son. That's the plan. That's the program. And in a fallen world, that means we're going to be going upstream. In a fallen world, that means we're going to experience some of the blows. They can't hit Jesus now, so they're aiming for you. But never forget that Romans 8.28 is cradled between the prayer of the Holy Spirit who is in us and the prayer of the Son of God, who is over us. Look at verse 32. God's Son is praying for you. Since the Father did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Rhetorical question, obvious answer, yes. Who dares then accuse us, the one The ones whom god has chosen for his own no one for god himself has given us right standing with himself who then will condemn us no one for christ jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting in the place of honor at god's right hand pleading for us did you notice the holy spirit and the son are both pleading for you and for me if you're a believer his prayer is based on his sacrifice verse 32 the father gave up the son for us all verse 34 jesus died for us supreme love is at the basis of this prayer And the argument, the greater to the lesser, if God gave his own son to us, will he not give us everything else? Absolutely, everything we need. I love Wesley's hymn, five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry nor let that ransomed sinner die. And the prayers of Jesus are always answered. And he prays according to the will of God, just like the Spirit does. But notice this, his prayer is based on his exaltation. Verse 34, it's Christ who died for us, but that's not the end. He was raised for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor for us, pleading for us. The Spirit prays from our hearts. The Son prays from the throne. The Spirit prays with groans. And the Son is praying in language with the Father that he can understand as he governs the world and those who put their faith and trust in him. We mentioned several times, saw several times in the book of Hebrews, how this great high priest has been raised and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It says in Philippians chapter 2, therefore God is a highly exalted Jesus in giving him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, he is Lord. He's at the place of supreme authority after he was raised from the dead. And one final thing about his prayer, his prayer is constant intercession. Hebrews 7, he is able to save those to the uttermost who come to God by him since he ever lives to make intercession for them. Just constantly praying for you. Constantly praying for you. We need to understand that in this idea of salvation, while we seek to receive God's grace with an empty hand, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. It's not us holding on to God. It's God holding on to us. John chapter 10. We are in the palm of His hand, and He will never let us go. We're graven; our names are written on His hand, and He cannot let us go. And He prays for us that we might go forward in grace. I love the the little poem. Let me no more my comfort draw from my frail hold of thee. In this alone rejoice with awe, thy mighty grasp of me. In times of danger and confusion and despair, let us flee to the one who holds us and will never let us go, who shelters us and who's praying for us. Ironically... This chapter says we're still going to have some troubles. Our troubles are not gone. Verse 23, inwardly we're still groaning because we're not there yet. Verse 35, there are hardships, persecutions. We are destitute, in danger, threatened to death is what the students experienced this past week. All of those things are still there. You have to remember in Matthew chapter 14, right after the feeding of the 5,000 plus, Jesus sent his disciples onto the sea. Sent them, knowing they were going to be in a horrific storm that almost would capsize them and that they would fear for their lives. He knew that. He sent them on the sea. What did he do? Went up to a mountain and prayed. And when he has sent us out onto the sea of life, Jesus, exalted to the highest position, is praying for you. And then in that trouble, he'll come to you as it were walking on the thing that troubles you, the waves of the sea, to let you know that he is God. When God shakes things things up and allows horrible tragedies to happen, when man plays at his worst, God wants eternal movement. God wants eternal gain. Oh yes, we have to be concerned about stopping the crime. We have to have good police in order and good authority in order to stop criminals. Or as it says in Ezekiel chapter eight, if there's no swift punishment to those who do crimes, they'll just be emboldened all the more. We need safety measures in schools and churches and secure. We need all of that. But in all of this, God can use the wickedness to praise Him. And what is happening is there's a greater openness among many of the students at Michigan State than there ever has been before. And some came to Christ in our college ministry just this last week. It's been a long buildup, but for many, They're turning to Christ. And when we see the wickedness of man, that's what we have to do, is turn to the one who is sovereign above it all. So my troubles are not gone, and yes, verse 38, there are fears for today and worries for tomorrow. They're still there, but none of those will separate me from the love of Christ. And that's the next thing. We are never separated from his love. Just quickly notice in verse 35. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Verse 39. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then the reassuring words of verse 37. No, despite all of these things that are against us, we are overwhelming victors through Christ who loves us. Never forget his unfailing love. And in all the midst of this, there is growth. It's interesting that Paul talks about in verse 18, I consider And in verse 28, I know. And in verse 38, I am convinced. Many of us know. I'm not sure how many of us are convinced. And this is the time for us to flee to the refuge, to go to the God who is our deliverer, Psalm 9.9, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. The refuge is there, but if you don't know the name, you won't go. But if you know the name, you will put your trust in him and from from him gain the perspective you need. Because Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And hiding in him, I am safe forevermore. I have no guarantee that I'm going to live a long life. And neither do you. But I have this guarantee. That if I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead and conquered hell itself... I will never die. John 11, do you believe this? Ah, this is the time where we need to believe. Many years ago, there was a little boy who was riding on a rather dangerous train. He was just one of the passengers, and there were others with him in the cab. And as they were going through some treacherous mountains with steep. Uh, hills precipice and the the turns were indeed sharp a man looked over at the little boy and said you look so calm you look so composed how come you're not afraid like I am the man was sweating bullets and the little boy said well my dad is the engineer and he's in control my friend Jesus is the Lord of all And he is in control. Let's pray. Lord, we pray this day for those who lost their lives and those who were injured and the many traumatized by it all. It's no little thing to be filled with fear and anxiety and worry. Fear today, worry tomorrow is even what you acknowledge in Romans 8. But Lord, when we focus on the fact that you have a plan for us, and that plan is being worked out because the Spirit is praying and the Son is praying, one praying in our heart, one praying from the throne, and when we understand that we are more than conquerors because you love us and you will never let us go, Lord, I pray that we will take heart and be bold and live at peace so that we can share the good news about Christ with those in need. Speak to our hearts today in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.